Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail blog that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. Or as we like to say, the blog that focuses on tomorrow's companies today. Joining us for his second time on the show is Jonah Ellen, 1010 Data's Chief Product Officer, and he is here to discuss 1010 Data's latest report on Instacart, which for anyone that follows OmniTalk closely knows is a topic near and dear to our hearts. So Jonah, welcome back. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I mean, we're just coming off of Shop Talk and Instacart was quite the hot topic um, at Shop Talk. So we're excited to talk to you today, Jonah. You guys just put out a new report. Um, I'd love to just start off there if possible. Of all the reports that you guys are putting out right now, what was it? Is it, did you know that we were going to all be talking about Instacart over the last couple of weeks that they were going to be in the news? Like what prompted this big report on what's going on there? Well, it's hard not to talk about Instacart. They're such <laughs> a force in the marketplace right now. They're right. on the tip of everyone's tongue and everyone knows who they are. They're really a bellwether in the e-com marketplace right now. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about Instacart is they had the same value proposition before the pandemic, right. but the pandemic was really a catalyst. They took off because they went from being a nice to have to being in need. Mm-hmm. But I think as the report shows, they continue to really extend their value proposition and extend their share in the marketplace, even as things open up again. So as goes Instacart, as goes the market in many ways, but they've got a lot of challenges ahead of them. But additionally, they've got a lot of uh, wonderful things that they can build upon. And they've really found a place in the heart of the customer. And that's key as you build your brand. It's interesting because one of the debates we've been having is really uh, is really on uh, you know whether you know the pandemic would be good for Instacart in the long run or if it just woke grocers up to what they need to do as well. So, so I'm curious, um, you know, Jonah, what figures can you give us from the report that you guys ran that helps sets the table for how we should think about Instacart, you know, before we go any deeper into our discussion today? Well, Instacart moved from about a 1% share of the e-com marketplace to a 3% share. And while these are relatively small numbers, it's really big in terms of the amount of the market that they cover. The universal merchants that they participate in their share of e-com is around 21.5%. And that's big. Right. These aren't small retailers. These are people that uh, you know we shop with day in, day out. And having that 21.5% in those particular stores um, really is representative of the value that they're bringing to customers and the convenience that people are finding with them. Yeah, I mean that you're right. I mean that's that's I mean for the most part we're talking predominantly grocers, right? Like for the most part, like the local grocers that you're interacting with, you know, the most, right? Yeah, it is predominantly grocers. Um and that 21.5%, if you think about that in terms of their sales, it's about 400% sales growth. Wow. And the astronomical piece during 2020, you know, represented over 300% growth. But that's been compounded. They've put another 15% on that in 2021. While 15% is nowhere near 300, it's 15% against a much larger number. And that's pretty exciting, especially in an industry that uh, doesn't often have 
astronomical growth like that. Right. Yeah. And that two-year stack on that number too has got it is like you said, it's immense. Like we're going back to 2019, you know, it's got to be huge, huge numbers. So Jonah, who are the retailers that are kind of relying on Instacart the most? We mentioned grocery, but I mean, who, who are these, these retailers that people are turning to that have resulted in such a, such a significant um, rise? Yeah, the top five retailers that Instacart participates with are driving about 50% of their sales. And that would be Publix, Costco, Aldi, Kroger, and Wegmans. Okay. Really? Okay. And wow. Jonah, like, t- tell us a little bit about that. Cause I remember the last time that you were on here and one of the things that you said in that interview has really stuck with me. And that's that over the course of the pandemic, like people developed a behavior. They, 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 are, this is not a trend. This is something that's going to continue. They've learned how to do this. Now we've seen an increase in how people are ordering the types of things they're ordering. How does that like compare when you look at those five retailers, Publix, Costco, Aldi, Kroger, and Wegmans? I mean, grocery is a predominant part of that ordering thing, but like, what else are they doing with those retailers? What else are they seeing increases in? It certainly takes a, a while to develop a habit. And at this point, I think we're, we're well into the habit stage. Right. Uh, but habits do change a bit. Okay. I think during the pandemic, people were ordering everything. They were ordering fresh, they were ordering center aisle, they were ordering health and beauty aids. And what we're seeing now is more of a shift. The basket sizes are dropping. The categories which they're shopping via Instacart are also changing a bit. Uh, We're seeing more center aisle grocery. We're seeing less perishables. Uh, Non-foods like baby and healthcare are also dropping off a bit. Hmm. But I think a lot of it comes down to the size of those baskets is changing. And thus also is the frequency. It looks like people are targeting that minimum basket amount and looking at it and saying, I've got to be over that amount, but I don't necessarily need to be a lot over that amount. As things have opened back up, they're not afraid to go into the stores. So the things that are more high touch items, the things that have more variability are items that they're choosing not necessarily to put in that Instacart basket and go direct to the uh, grocers themselves in order to find the products they want. Okay. So that's really interesting as we start thinking about what this all means for Instacart strategically. So I want to go back to a couple of things you've said there so far. So you said 50% of Instacart sales over the past you know year have been from major, basically five grocers, Publix, Costco, if you want to call them a grocer, maybe not, maybe, maybe not Aldi for sure. Kroger, Wegmans. Um, that is inherently interesting to me in the sense of you know, especially like when you look at Kroger, somebody the size of Kroger and Kroger, who's been overtly building their own fulfillment centers to be able to tackle the last mile question and therefore probably not be dependent upon grocers. Um, that strikes me as, as a place where Instacart is therefore vulnerable. What, what do you think about that? What commentary do you have on that? I think there are some challenges. Instacart basically helped people to cover the ground or to cover the moat. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take for us to get up and running with delivery in a time period where we need delivery immediately? And they met a need. Uh, they met the need that the grocers had. They met a need that the consumers have. And people found a lot of value in it. But now there's challenges. They have challenges in that the individual shoppers aren't necessarily as adept at knowing where the products are. 
So they can run into perceived out-of-stock issues that both reflect on Instacart, but also reflect on the retailer. So some of the retailers who have a better capability to be able to fulfill orders themselves are keen to do so. And those who are able to bring significant automation and technology to that process are really going to have a step ahead. Whether it's using dark stores, whether it's using guides within the stores themselves, um, or whether it's the full automation that you can find uh, with some of the robotic warehouses, those who are able to make those investments, those who are able to progress this and make it just as convenient and really maintain the customer loyalty, um, have a lot of potential. And I see them moving in that direction and challenging Instacart in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's really, that's kind of where my head was going too. I'm sure and yours was going the same place, but like when I put that against what you also said about how we're also seeing more of a move to center store grocery versus the periphery of grocery, that plays into the whole thesis that people have been talking about for three to five years now with the move towards micro fulfillment, dark store automation, which is people are going to naturally gravitate towards getting that like on a replenishment cycle basis. And they're still going to go to the store for those things they want to touch and feel the avocados, the bananas, the things that traditionally are talked about. Um, So again, if that's where the volume is going and the baskets are getting lower already as a result of that, I have to think that doesn't necessarily bode well for Instacart in the long-term future either, or at least it it poses a potential risk to them to some degree. I mean, how would you respond to that one? Yeah, it certainly poses a risk. Uh, Subscriptions are growing. The convenience of having it automated so you don't need to worry about it, especially for Mm -hmm. things that you know the cadence. You know how long it takes you to go through a pack of 15 cereal bars when you know that you're sending your kids off to school with these day in, day out. You can calculate that almost exactly. Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities, though, to extend that logistics model that they've so successfully built. Mm. to go beyond grocery into other items, into other outlets that the only other option is shipment. And in a world where shipment expectations continue to drop in terms of the amount of time that you're willing to wait for something, that instant gratification can really be big. And I think they've built an outstanding network. People really know the brand. So as they start seeing more of the things that they want day in, day out, there's an opportunity there. There's also an awful lot of competition in that space right now. So it'll be interesting to see how are they able to differentiate themselves from some of the newcomers um, and some of the localized organizations that are going to be doing fulfillment. Yeah, I mean, that. okay. So yeah, that's because that was another part of your, about the report that I wanted to ask you about, which you bring it up really well. Like for me is like, you said before basket sizes dropped, basket sizes have dropped. I'm curious where is that drop coming from any particular category? Is it coming from all over? But by the same token, like it looks like the, num- the number of units sold or the share of units sold from Instacart continues to go up year over year. And I'm that that's that's kind of dichotomous to me, depending on you know what you're seeing in the basket size data. So I was wondering if you could touch on that a little bit too. Certainly. So we're seeing a basket size drop of about 14% which is significant. Right. Um, health and beauty aid are really taking, taking the brunt of that. I think a lot of that high touch, I want to see new products. I want to be inspired. Now that people are back in the stores, there's a very different opportunity to shop. And I think that's really been impacting both the basket size, 
um, but also just delivery services in general. Household essentials are also down significantly. Um, I think part of that does have to do with uh, people are disinfecting their homes a little bit less. Uh, but additionally, it's less of an urgent item. Every time I see it, I'm going to stock up on it. Right. Now, that odd dichotomy is really around the fact that while the basket sizes are going down, and as I mentioned, I think people are targeting that minimum back basket size, but they're doing that so they can order more frequently. So while the basket size is dropping by 14%, um, the total units is up about five and a quarter percent. And I think that's got to be driven by the frequency at which people are actually placing orders. Um, with those smaller baskets, uh, they can order from a variety of stores, which Instacart is very good at. Um, and they can really hone in on who they prefer to shop with for which types of products. Now, the challenge is obviously that they are going in store, those high touch items, the fresh items, the things that really matter. You've been bitten once or twice by getting something that's not as fresh as you'd like it to be. Or uh, if you're, I'm from Georgia, uh, if you get that peach that's going to take three days and you had a recipe that needed it tonight, that's yeah. not really meeting your need. So there is that aspect of how do you communicate effectively with an app? Versus how can you get exactly what you need by walking in and taking on some of the burden yourself? So Jonah, what do you think that means then? I mean, I, Chris, I thought your point earlier about Kroger getting into this space and, you know, going directly after consumers with a similar model, like I imagine more grocers are going to start to explore how they can service their customers directly. They can know, you know, more immediately what they have in stock or out of stock. They can, you know, predict or maybe even, you know, develop a loyalty program to bring that total, you know, minimum order delivery minimum down in order to retain those, those customers on their own. How, how does Instacart defend themselves against this? Like, how do they have to position themselves as they're kind of going forward in order to stay an ally of the grocers and to keep being kind of the first go-to for the customer? Great question. And it's certainly that that's kind of the million dollar question. As people are coming into a world that's highly competitive, yeah. um, those existing loyalty programs are extremely motivating. Mm -hmm. Being able to save 20 cents a gallon on gasoline because you're converting your loyalty points um, into fuel savings points, especially with the prices of the pump right now, is extremely motivating. I think there's an opportunity in terms of personalization. I think having shoppers who know you as a customer and whether you're ordering from an Aldi or whether you're ordering from a Kroger or a Wegmans, having that individual who understands your needs, having that individual who's almost your personal shopper is a real opportunity for Instacart. Um, I know they've done some aspects to better connect who the shoppers are with customers. Uh, but I think the ability to continue doing that, not just person to person, but through their technology to really understand your preferences, what you like, what you don't like, and to give more information to the person who's doing the shopping is a great opportunity. Automation will take you a long way, but when you're trying to replace your eyes, your hands, your sense of it in a store, it's very different. I think the other aspect is stores want you in the store. Right. There's an aspect of if you're coming in only on a mission, 
around fresh items, if you're skipping those center aisles, they're, right. they're missing a lot of opportunity. So I think there will be a drive, whether digitally or face-to-face, to really help extend that shop to inspire customers with offers that are relevant to them and that are meaningful. And I think a lot of that will come from how retailers are using the data to understand shopping behavior. But beyond that, the things that are important to them in their relationship with both the retail brand as well as the consumer brands that they purchase. Yeah, wow, that's a, that, this is interesting. I, and this is a fascinating, fascinating study to me because it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's validating some of the, at least, and I'm trying to read it very, you know, carefully in terms of how I'm interpreting right. the results, but there, there, are, there are definitely some things that are sticking out to me, like, like into that last point, Jonah, you know, too, in terms of like retailers want people in their stores, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, you know, what we're seeing here is like a victim of pandemic circumstance in some way, because the other point that I thought was really interesting about the report was we talked about the top five retail customers, right? The, and they were all big guys, right? But then if you look at where their growth is coming from over the last, you know, couple of years, in addition to that, you've got from the report, Food Lion, ShopRite, Meyer, Walmart, big, big guys, the units, the units are up, the baskets are down. I have to imagine the acquisition of a place like Walmart is helping to drive those units up. So the question to me just becomes, you know, okay, are we seeing sustainable business model here? Or are we just seeing the victim of, hey, we needed to get goods to consumers, especially in grocery during these last years of the pandemic. But we all get the punchline of the joke you're saying, which is, we want to take this relationship back at some point mm-hmm. and, and, and create loyalty programs tied into our gas programs like Walmart's been having success of doing lately, you know, and so what, you know, that doesn't, to me, that just, I can't get around it, Ann, but that doesn't bode well here. Um, I don't know, Jonah, any, am I crazy? Any color you'd add to that? But <laughs> I, I, I just, it, it makes me worry a little bit is what I would say. Well, I'm not sure it's, it, it's, it's dire yet. Okay. I think there's still a Good. big Call mode. Me back. <laughs> and I think there's a big mode. I think there is a challenge for someone to start up a really effective delivery network. And that last mile is the challenge. With buy online, pick up in store, um, there's less of a burden on it. And I think that will win mm-hmm. back a lot of share as grocers get really efficient on how they do that and how they continue to take advantage of the loyal customers that they have. But the thing that I wouldn't underestimate is Instacart has customers. They have those loyal uh, shoppers and retailers want access to them. Now, they'd love to have direct access to them, but they don't want to lose the access overall. So I think there will be a balancing act, especially as people try to take on that moat. And there will be different modes. It may be that if you need those groceries in two hours, you're going to Instacart. But if you're okay picking them up at the store, if you're okay getting a slower delivery or having items shipped to you on a subscription, people will start mixing and matching in order to get what they want. And they will find a way to really hone in on what's the best value proposition for us. But additionally, how do I make sure that we get the brands that are important to us? And I think the mix and match is something that you'll see. I also think it's one of the things that's driving a smaller basket size. If I have a smaller basket size, I can hit that multiple times through different methods, some of which may be direct, but others may be just with a different retailer through Instacart as well. 
Yeah. And I know Anne has a question too, but like, I think the thing, the point I'd add there too, is like the retailers can also begin to offer the service from multiple third-party delivery services too, right? Mm -hmm. As part of this equation too, they could go to a DoorDash, an Instacart, a Grubhub, Uber Eats, or anything like that, that further complicates, I think, everything we're discussing. But Anne, what were we going to ask? Yeah, I was going to ask, well, Jonah, you mentioned um, how how Instacart has all of these members. They have all this data about the consumer. I wonder how you you figure that that plays into this too, like the retail media network that they're talking about building, the ads platform. How does that con- configure with all of the growth poten- or the potential that you think Instacart has? Because I, I do think that that's an important thing to call out. Um, of, of the things that Fiji Simo talked about on stage at Shop Talk last week, I think that to me seems like there's the most growth potential in that area. Do you see Instacart like maybe shifting focus there a little bit more as what Chris is talking about starts to happen as grocers are looking to other retailers to kind of experiment with? Do you think that this is an area, you know, in, in order to maintain that personalization that they want for the consumer that, you know, getting revenue from, from a media network or from ad sales, whether it's from the grocer or from the CPG companies directly are, are really the way to keep Instacart afloat here. I certainly think it's a huge opportunity. Um, okay. Whomever owns the customer has a really valuable asset. Mm-hmm. And every time someone goes to an Instacart site, that's an opportunity to influence who they're shopping with, but also what brands are they going after? And I think the ability to do that in real time, but also the ability to contact those customers as they've given permissions, whether via the app, whether via email, is powerful. It's Mm -hmm. powerful for brands who are trying to build their own loyalty, uh, but may care less about where you make those purchases. But it's also that opportunity for the retailer to try to win the basket. And the question becomes, after they win that basket, are they also looking to try to convert, mm-hmm. convert people from Instacart to others? So there's an alliance here, but there's also a healthy amount of competition that'll be interesting. Right. I think the value of that customer base is something that they're going to be able to take advantage of. Um, you know, customer acquisition costs a lot more than expanding the loyalty of an existing customer. So I think both retailers and brands are going to be looking at what's their best approach to capture the hearts and minds of those Instacart shoppers. Yeah. And will they start to like take, you know, will, will you see grocers start to figure out different incentives? Like you can, you know, we want to be on Instacart. We want you to order from here, but next time, like, I mean, I just see like all of these, these ways that these retailers are going to try to directly, like bring them in. Like you're saying, Jonah, to to try to capture that customer directly in the future. I think that'll be a really interesting one to keep an eye on. I also suspect that as inflation continues to be a hot topic and it's hitting people's wallets, folks are really going to start looking at what's the opportunity to save and what is the cost of the convenience? Is it worth my time to try to save money or, you know, is it something where my time is more valuable? And I suspect that there will be some really complicated decisions that customers need to make as to how they're going to continue to shop and where they see price differences versus where they see advantages uh, that are going to help them to make ends meet. Uh, They'll start making some of those tougher decisions, especially if uh, trends stay the same with gas prices and the ongoing cost increases. Uh, 
um, that people are seeing at the grocery register. Yeah. Wow. Well, this, this, you got, this report is going to blow up. I think guys, this, this has got so much good data in it. And it's funny too, to tell everyone listening how the sausage is made. And I both had sick kids at home today. We're like, no, we got to do this podcast together because usually that happens. One of us takes the lead, but today we're like, we got to do this together. Cause this is some really fascinating data. Like even the, like, even as you guys are talking there, I'm sitting there going, but the CEO's on stage last week talking about how she's going to build ad platforms for other retailers, mm-hmm. which kind of flies in the face of, again, the, the value proposition that, you know, they really need to hold to in a lot of ways of owning that, that customer relationship. So Jonah, I got to get you out of here on this because I'm, I'm dying to see where this goes for you guys. Cause this is, this is a really cool report. Um, anything that, that you guys and the folks at 1010 data are going to keep a close eye on in regards to the data that's presented here or anything you guys would like to explore more in the future to help come to, you know, a better sense of where all this is going in the long term. That's a great question. Um, we're obviously going to keep a close eye on Instacart, uh, yeah. partially because they're fascinating, but also they represent the forefront of that battleground for the customer. And whether you're a brand, whether you're a retailer, it's hugely important. With a 3% share and the type of growth that they're showing, um, this is really critical. Additionally, I think we're going to be keeping a close eye on fulfillment methods. Mm. Are people shifting their behaviors? Where are they looking for delivery? Where is Bopus growing? And where are those shipment services and subscription models really taking off? Mm-hmm. I think understanding that is something that 1010 is pretty uniquely positioned to do. And the way that we use the data is quite exciting. It's something that a lot of the brand partners that we have um, are excited about. And when I get together with the team who lives and breathes this data day in, day out. These are some of the areas that their customers are asking about. And these are some of the areas where they're interested in doing future studies because it really kind of tells the tale of where the industry is heading. It'll be interesting to see what Instacart chooses to do with their platform. They've figured out a lot of ways to interact with customers that are quite valuable. And while they compete with the retailers, that ability to partner and help them to close the moat in some ways uh, may be a very large opportunity, especially as they start considering um, the battle for the customer and the opportunities to use media to sway decision-making. A lot of it's really about how do you inspire those customers? How do you bring them the value that they have gotten used to? And then how do you maximize the convenience, making sure that you're focusing on giving them what they want, not just pushing product down their throats. Yeah, it's a good way. The way the, the phrase that's coming to my mind is how does how does Instacart keep its customers loyal to itself over right. the next few years? Like that's the thing. And customers are inherently very fickle, uh, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to having to supplant their local grocer, which as Ann, you and I have talked about, has a very firm positioning in many people's hearts and minds. So yeah, man, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to follow this with you guys, especially like around delivery speed too, as the instant delivery guys come into the game here and that becomes part of the broader service offering. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, Jonah. Um, all right, well, I got to ask you this too. You know, for people that want to read this report, you know, where should they go? How do they find out more about, you know, what you guys do at 1010 Data? Great. Uh, certainly follow the 1010 uh, LinkedIn account. Uh, we're posting a lot of great materials there and you'll be able to keep up with everything that 1010 is doing. Additionally, for more direct information, you can email us at info at 1010data.com or you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. 
and uh, look forward to, to hearing from you and sharing additional insights. Thanks, Jonah. This is fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Jonah. Awesome. And we'll put the, the link to the report in the show notes for this episode if you guys want to read it more closely. Highly, highly encourage you to do so because, man, I was reading through it and I'm like, oh my God, there's so much good data on here. I could see a lot of analysts running uh, with a lot of this data that's put in this report. So you're going to want to check it out. Um, all right. Well, that I guess that closes us up. I mean, it's a great conversation here. Got You can tell the energy I've got from talking to you, Jonah. Uh, thanks to Jonah for Jonah Ellen for sitting in with us, to, sitting down with us today. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening in as always. And on behalf of Jonah and, and myself, be careful out there. <laughs>